Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Fibromyalgia does not have a cure, but treatments are available for this disorder, which is characterized by widespread musculoskeletal pain with fatigue and sleep, memory, and mood disorders. Today, we'll learn more about fibromyalgia from my guest, Dr. Alex Hensel. He's training in family medicine at Upstate. Welcome to the informed patient, Dr. Hensel. It's good to be here. Can you first describe what fibromyalgia is? Fibromyalgia is a syndrome. It's a collection of symptoms. I wouldn't think of it as a single disease or single disorder, but more it's a way for us to describe how this collection of symptoms presents. And like you mentioned on the introduction, it usually has a couple features to it. Diffuse pains in several parts of the body, as well as systemic body-wide different symptoms that you'd feel. Fatigue, low energy state, kind of these vague, overwhelming effects it has on the body. How does it typically present? How does someone learn that they have this? Or does it come on gradually? It typically is something that's present for months or years, and it's an ongoing process. It tends to develop in middle adulthood to later adulthood when it first develops. And currently, it's identified solely on clinical criteria. That means we look at the picture, we discuss with a person, and we get part of their history to see if it fits the pattern, if it fits the story for fibromyalgia. We don't have any reliable blood tests. We don't have any tests or any imaging or any thing that can really say yes or no to fibromyalgia. What part of the body is most impacted by fibromyalgia? So it can be very diffuse. That means it can affect different people in pretty substantially different ways. Most often when people are having symptoms or they think of it, it's with weakness or aching type feelings in their extremities, the arms, the legs, sometimes the neck. That's where people kind of notice it the most, but it can affect even the abdomen, even the upper back. You can have vague, diffuse feelings of aching, feelings of soreness at those sites. Really, the rule with fibromyalgia is that you have these diffuse symptoms that can be all over the body, but they come and they go. Are there other conditions that someone with fibromyalgia might also have, other medical conditions? Uh, yeah, there certainly is. And there is quite a bit of coincidence. People who have fibromyalgia, we also see more of an incidence, more of a happening of other chronic inflammatory, other chronic irritation conditions. And that's part of why diagnosing fibro is difficult. We have blood tests that can tell us, yes, your body's inflamed, but is that because of fibromyalgia or is that because you have rheumatoid arthritis? So we can't use those types of blood tests to say fibro without anything else. Well, I want to talk to you more about how the disease is diagnosed, because if someone comes in or they go to their primary care provider with musculoskeletal pain, fatigue, maybe mood issues, how do you go about determining what it is that's causing it? 
And that can be difficult. There oftentimes isn't a clear and absolute picture with a disorder like fibromyalgia. There are a couple tools, clinical questionnaires, basically, that ask a series of questions and ask a series kind of of steps to go through for the medical provider to kind of arrange how things are presenting. And those clinical questionnaires have a score that's associated with them. So then you add up the answers to that score. Some of the older types, they then have to multiply and do some other things. Some of the newer types of scoring metrics, you basically just add the numbers together. And if you're above a certain threshold, it suggests fibromyalgia is part of what you're looking at. Are there conditions that you have to rule out that maybe look like fibromyalgia and you want to take care and make sure that it's not one of those things? Historically, a lot of conditions were referred to as rule-out conditions, where you'd want to make sure it's not X, Y, or Z before you could say it is this definitive final condition. Medicine in general has moved more and more away from the rule-out conditions, and part of that's because you can have fibromyalgia on top of rheumatoid arthritis. If you have rheumatoid arthritis, we drive our treatment after that and we just ignore the possibility of fibro, well, we're not comprehensively managing what your clinical situation is. So no, we don't really use rule out, but there is coincidence. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking about fibromyalgia with Upstate Family Medicine resident, Dr. Alex Hensel. Let me ask you, do we know what causes fibromyalgia? Definitively, no. There's a couple ideas, a couple theories as to what it is and what causes it. We know that there are a couple things that, if they're present, they make it more likely. They make it more possible for a person to develop fibromyalgia later in their life. And some of that is genetic patterning. If you have a family history of fibromyalgia in one or two parents, that increases the chance that you will develop it later in life. But some of those things are also situational or lifestyle or driven by exposures. People who've had severe trauma, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or even if they don't develop PTSD, if they had a severe traumatic event, they have an increased risk of developing fibromyalgia later in life. And that's part of what we're learning new things about it year on year about why it happens and why some brains develop it and some don't. Is it true that more females have fibromyalgia? It is more common. We look at it in terms of the statistic called incidence. How many new cases, how many new diagnoses of a condition do we have in a period of time? And the incidence for fibromyalgia is higher in females than in males. So yes, it does happen more often in females than males. Exactly why we're not clear about, there is a theory that it has something to do with the estrogenic access or the pro-inflammatory nature. A lot of autoimmune, auto-inflammatory conditions, such as rheumatoid arthritis or such as Sjogren's syndrome, those are more common in females. Why? There's a lot of theories, but I don't think there's a definitive answer to that yet. In terms of disease management for fibromyalgia, 
Is this a condition that's treated by primary care doctors, or when would a patient be referred to a rheumatologist, say? That is something that's a bit up in the air, I would say, because it is a condition that we're figuring a bit more out about fundamentally what it is. Historically, it's been lumped in as a rheumatologic condition. It was thought that it was really driven by the body attacking itself as an autoimmune process. But some of the theories, some of the work we've been seeing, it's less likely to be autoimmune driven, to be that kind of disease process. So it really doesn't fit into a rheumatologic model, in which case, room, they can deal with the inflammatory components. But if it's more driven by a central nervous system change, by the brain's chemistry changing, well, room really isn't a good fit for that. I'd argue, I have a little bias because family medicine provider, but I'd argue that it's a good fit for primary care to tackle. But if we get to a point where it's beyond the scope, where it's more extreme than primary care can handle, rheumatology is still in the scope. They're one specialty we could talk to. Another that would be good to consider would be pain management. Are there effective medications that you can prescribe to someone? There are. There's a handful of agents that we know work decently well, and research is ongoing for other ways to use those or other approaches to them. The medicines that seem to have the best effect are actually the antidepressant and anti-seizure class medicines. And then specifically in the antidepressants, a class of medicines we call the SNRIs. Those are the serotonergic, noradrenergic reuptake inhibitors. But we don't exactly understand why, but modifying the way that the brain signals respond changes how it perceives pain signals with these medicines. An example of these would be duloxetine. That one is a fairly widely studied medicine that does have a benefit on fibromyalgia. Are there lifestyle modifications that you recommend? Yeah, this was actually something I came across when I was doing some research into the subject a little while back. Just having some education, having an insight and understanding in how the disease process works, having an educational conference with a provider, and it was a small class of 20 patients, that actually helped people to experience less pain and less lifestyle fatigue and other lifestyle impact. So just talking, just having an understanding of what the disease, what this process is and how, why it happens, that helps with it. The lifestyle modification that's the most studied and seems to have the biggest impact though is exercise. Regular physical activity doesn't need to be particularly strenuous, but something that increases the metabolic activity of the muscles and increases the strain on the joints, not excessively. Jogging, swimming are great examples. Cycling, any of those that increase the heart rate, put some strain on the muscles, that changes the way the brain perceives pain signals. And that really is what fibromyalgia is in our understanding of it. Well, let's talk about what life is like for someone who has fibromyalgia how much does this disease impact everyday life? That can vary quite a bit person to person. In some cases, it's something in the background that people just kind of muscle through or push through to live the life that they want to live. 
In other cases, it can be quite debilitating and can interfere with every activity of daily life. There's quite a wide spectrum of the impact it can have. But even in mild cases, it is something that affects well-being. So getting it better controlled and having less of a detriment, less of an exhaustion with it, there is benefit to be had even in those situations. Are there complications that patients need to be on the lookout for? How would you know if it's getting worse? It can be a progressive condition where things can get slowly worse as time goes on and it builds and builds to a more extreme extent. It's usually not suddenly things get worse. It's progressive. It's slow. It does wax and wane as well, where you have a building of symptoms, a worsening of what you're experiencing, but then that can resolve over the course of a few weeks and get a little bit better. And then it can pick back up again. It's very individual, the progression and how it impacts people. What sort of long-term outlook do you see for people who have fibromyalgia? That also varies. In most cases, it's not something that you're going to cure. It's not something you're going to eradicate completely. It's a condition. It's a way that a brain is functioning. We can affect that and some the lifestyle benefit, the lifestyle modifications, the exercise, the neuroeducation, the reducing inflammation in a big sense. Those are the things that have the best long-term impact. Medicines, medications, supplemental approaches, those do have an impact on disease progression and burden, but they tend to be more time limited. Medicines work up to a point, and then once this condition, once the sensitivity of the brain gets to a certain extreme, they stop being as effective. Well, Dr. Hensel, I want to thank you for making time to tell us about fibromyalgia. No problem. It was nice to be on. My guest has been Dr. Alex Hensel. He's training in family medicine at Upstate. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to listen too. And you can rate and review the Informed Patient podcast on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you tune in. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.